Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be here today on this Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to look into the Word of God. We ask you to bless each and every one of us here today. Touch our lives and hearts, God, as we come before the throne of grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Turn to the one next to you and shake their hand and greet him in Jesus' name. I often use the word, turn to your neighbor. And you may be seated. The word neighbor is an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning nearby, nigh by, nigh, you know, nigh unto us, neighbor, neighbor, turn to be neighbor. So uh, anyhow, your neighbor is the one that's nearby, (laughs) praise God. I want you to turn with us to the book of Romans chapter 12. And uh, chapter 12 is a turning point in the book of Romans from what Paul had been talking about extensively and to what he eventually gets to about the uh, admonitions to the church, how to live for God, how to serve God, how to walk with God, and uh, how to be a good Christian. Uh, The first part, that is the first 11 chapters, Paul deals with that subject of how is it possible that we Gentiles who did not come by the way of the law can be saved. We talked about all that and we've gone through uh, actually 16 lessons regarding that. And then he comes down to the point, well, what about the Jews? If God did not accept the Jews, then what about them? And then he talks about that in chapter 11 extensively, that the God has not cast them away, but he is going to restore them. We talked about that last week and wrapped that up. In chapter 11, when you go into chapter 12, there's a total turn of the message or the word from Paul to the Romans. And he starts out with the word, I beseech you, brethren, therefore. Therefore, in other words, the fact that God has saved us Gentiles or saved you Gentiles uh, out of your sins by grace and not by works, the works of the law. Therefore, you are saved because of his goodness, mercy, and his kindness, and so forth. And because that the, the Jews who rejected him, that is as a whole, not all of them, but the Jews as a nation who rejected him, God will one day even restore them. And so then he finally comes back to the point of what about us today? And so this sort of deals with where you and I are, how to live for God, how to serve the, serve the Lord, how to worship, and the things that he teaches us. <clears throat> so... If you have your Bibles, I want you to look with us in chapter 12 here of Romans, and I'm going to start with the verse 1. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice and uh, wholly acceptable unto God. I want to just say this, that he uses this term sacrifice then as that that was under the law. Here's why. Because under the law, when men would bring sacrifices to God, the sacrifices had to be without blemish. Uh, If a person, for instance, was bringing a lamb to be offered for sacrifice or a goat or a bullock or sheep, whatever it was, whatever he was bringing to be sacrificed, the Lord required that that sacrifice be uh, without blemish. It could not be crippled. It could not be blind. It could not be all banged up, scarred up, bruised up with all kinds of afflictions on it or diseased or sick because it would be possible 
that a Jew who had, say, a hundred sheep and he wanted to uh, offer a sacrifice to God, he'd pick out the worst one and take it in there and say, here, we'll offer this to God. I want to keep all the good ones, you know. So the Lord said, don't do that. You give me your best. Now, there's a lesson in that for all of us. Give your best always to God. Honestly, it is. Give your best to God, not, not the things you would throw away, not the things you throw down, not the things you don't care anything about, but give your best to God. Praise the Lord. And so they, they were required to have sacrifices like that. So what Paul is doing, using that, that, uh, that information about sacrifices, about presenting yourselves a living sacrifice. In other words, present yourself without blemish. Now, I know we have natural and physical blemishes in our own makeup and our own phys- physique and maybe our bodies and all that. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about spiritual the spiritual blemishes. In other words, let's present ourselves to God holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And that's what he says here. Look at this very closely. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he compares that, compares that with that Old Testament because the Old Testament did things physically that in the New Testament we do spiritually. The Old Testament... Uh, was under the law. The New Testament is under the dispensation of grace. And therefore, we do it spiritually. For instance, I'm going to give you some illustrations. And this is what Paul understood. This is what the apostles understood that those who would not follow Christ did not understand. And that was this, that the Lord fulfilled the Old Testament by making things that were natural to become spiritual. Let me give you an illustration. I'm just going to give you a couple of them. The Bible is filled with them. And that is, for instance, the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they went to the promised land. When you and I get saved today, we don't come out of Egypt, we come out of the world. You know, we come out of sin, we come out of darkness, we come out of all kinds of stuff out there and God brings us out. Just like he brought them out of slavery and bondage, he brings us out of the bondages of sin. You see what I'm saying? So it's a spiritual thing. You don't change location, you don't... You don't get on a journey and go through the desert, nothing like that. But he brings us out of the bondage of sin. Uh, we can say the same thing about the tabernacle plan. When God gave that to them, when they got to Mount Sinai, and he gave Moses the tabernacle plan, which became the basic plan also for the temple uh, many years later, that they would build this temple. But the tabernacle plan was very simple. The tabernacle plan had a brazen altar in which sacrifices were made. Then it had a labor of water in which the priests would always wash themselves before they went into the tabernacle. When he went into the tabernacle, there was two, two items in there. There was the, there was a table of showbread, uh, which bread was always put there and the priests could eat of the bread. And then there's also the golden candlesticks, which was always lit at, uh, in the, at nighttime, daytime, was put out because they had the light of the sun and so forth. Uh, and so forth. And then there was also the altar of incense in which they would offer praises unto the Lord inside the tabernacle. Now, all of that has a spiritual significance. The, out, the outside where you had the brazen altar, uh, where they offered sacrifices, that was a type of repentance. When we repent, we die out to sin. Then we are baptized. That's why baptism is very much essential New Testament salvation because it was under that law. They did not go from just the sacrifice 
into the tabernacle, but they had to be washed. When they went inside the tabernacle, which is like going into the church, now you're in the body of Christ, you repent, you baptize in Jesus' name, and then you go into the body of Christ, then there is the, the bread that's presented on the showbread, uh, which is a type of the word of God. Jesus said, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the bread is a type of the word of God. So just like they had their bread, we have the word of God. But in order for them to see inside the tabernacle, they had the candlesticks and the seven golden candlesticks, and there was light. And so this represents the spirit of God. And the spirit of God gives understanding to the word of God. You understand what I'm saying here? It gives light. So what was natural there becomes spiritual to us today. And just about everything, and you can study that tabernacle just from every little thing, almost every little bolt and screw and every little post and pillar that it had in it, it has a spiritual significance to our walk with God today in the day and hour and time in which we live. So I'm just saying here, when he says to the, in these words, I present, uh, I therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, I, I, I uh, beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, he's using that Old Testament uh, comparison to present yourself now to be holy, acceptable unto God. And that's what he says then in the following words. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Holy and acceptable unto God is not out of reason with God, and it's not out of reason with us. Can I just say something here to you here today? Living for God is not complicated. Living for God is not unreasonable. I'm serious. Living a holy life is not unreasonable. Back in the dark ages, men sought to please God, and because they did not have the word of God, uh, for them to have the understanding of what to do, and it was written in Latin, and nobody could read Latin uh, back in the Dark Ages. Uh, and only the, only the, uh, the priests and so forth, uh, when all that was going on, then the people, praise the Lord, did not know what they should do. But whenever they finally understood what they had to do, then there began to be a change, and they said, God, we want to do that that is acceptable unto you. Praise the Lord. So, the reasonable part of it is to us today, they got into the unreasonable things. Unreasonable. And I've heard of all kinds of unreasonable things. I've sinned. What should I do? All right, go pray for an hour kneeling on rice. You ever did that? On a hardwood floor? I mean, I mean nobody's ever done that. You don't have to do that. You know, I'm, you, talk, you understand what I'm saying? It's not an unreasonable thing to serve God. I uh, read about this woman in, uh, down in South America in Columbia, and uh, she had a sick child, and she desperately wanted this child to be healed, and she was trying to reach God and, uh, and appease God and ask God to help her, and she was desperate. And she climbed a mountain, and on top of the mountain was a statue of the Virgin Mary. And she went to the top of that mountain to beseech Mary, the Virgin Mary, in that statue to heal her daughter. And the way she went to the mountain was to crawl the entire distance on her knees. She literally did that. She crawled on her knees 
to the top of that mountain in desperation to ask the Virgin Mary to heal her daughter. Did her daughter get healed? No. And no matter how hard she tried, she did almost an unreasonable thing. God does not require unreasonable things. Shortly after that, somebody invited her to a Pentecostal church service. One of those, you know, one of those, uh, and they had tremendous miracles down there. Uh, and all over the world, they're having, as you well know, our pastor will be talking, I'm sure, more about that this morning in the service. But they, uh, this woman uh, went to this Pentecostal church service, took her daughter with her, and the pastor says, the missionary says, what do you have need of? He said, I want my daughter to be healed. He said, bring her up. They prayed for her, and she was instantly healed. And that woman shouted all over the place, and she said, oh, thank you, Jesus. And you don't think she didn't fall in love with the Lord? <laughs> you know she did. But God does not require the unreasonable. Praise the Lord. So when he says present yourselves a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And God does not require our holiness and uh, an acceptable life before him. He does not make it to be hard, difficult. Anybody can live for God. Anybody can serve the Lord. And the Bible even tells us that. Praise the Lord. He said it's been made so that all men can come unto him and be saved. The Lord hasn't made salvation to be where it's just baptized in water, water, more water in the world than anything else. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like, it was it Philip that was on the, on the trip that was down with the Ethiopian eunuch riding along the, uh, the in the chariot. He was explaining Jesus Christ came in and saying, here's what you got to do. And so the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, whoa, hold the horses, hold the horses. And Philip was riding with him in his chariot. He said, hold the horses. He said, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? In other words, we just stop right here and I'll get baptized. It's right here. Praise the Lord. Some of you were baptized in fresh water. Some of you were baptized in a baptistry. Somebody was baptized in the ocean. I was baptized in a bay, salt water. Somebody said, you were baptized in salt water? Yeah, they salted me down real good. <laughs> Praise God. It doesn't matter. It's just water, you know. Somebody said they wanted, they wanted running water to get baptized. They didn't want to get baptized in a baptistry. They want to get baptized in running water. I said, fine, we'll pull the plug, turn the faucet on, and we got running water. Praise the Lord. We'll baptize you. Hallelujah. I baptized a lady one time, went down to the water, and there was some kind of a, uh, something had come in, I guess a red tide or something, and the fish were dying in the water, and the fish were dead from where I'm standing over to that far out. Just nothing but just dead fish at the edge of the, of, of the, of the, of the place where I was going to baptize her. And I looked at that, and it smelled off. And I said, man, I can't baptize you like that. She said, Brother Myers... I've come to be baptized and I want to be baptized. I said, all right, let's do it. And we just pushed all the dead fish and the smell and got out beyond it and I baptized her in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. But there's water everywhere. Hallelujah. And you can be baptized. God bless people that say, I want to do the will of God and the way God has ordained it to be in the word of God that I might be saved. Hallelujah. Let me move on here. I got a lot to give you here. And uh, he goes on to say, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable under God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Uh, that means don't try to saddle up and be like the world where that you will not be any different. Folks, we are different. 
if you live a holy life and you walk with God and truth and spirit, you're going to be different. There's places we don't go. There's, there's, there's clothes and apparel we don't wear. There are things we just don't do. You know, there's, I'm, I'm serious. And there is, a, there is a difference between the child of God and his life of holiness that he lives for God and walks with the Lord uh, than that of the world that says, oh, anything's okay, everything's okay, everything goes. And it's getting worse and worse. You well know that. And it's getting, it's getting to be <clears throat> very challenging to a lot of Christians uh, in, in the world. It says, be not conformed to this world. And uh, being conformed is like lining up to it. Let me show you some things in the Word of God. I want you to go to First uh, St. John. First uh, John, I'm sorry. First John chapter 2. Excuse me. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15. First uh, jo- John. There's St. John. First John. We'll go to St. John in a few moments. But go to First John, the epistle. The epistle of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. First John. And this is chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. This is one of the first scriptures I learned when I was first saved. I was a teenager, and uh, those dear older saints in our church, they'd say, young man, you got to learn this verse of scripture. And I said, okay, I'll learn it. Whatever they told me, I did it, folks. Nobody had to tell me twice, you know. I said, what do you do, what do you do, what do you do? You do this. One guy, I had been saved just very long, saw a guy stuffing money into an envelope. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm paying my tithes. I said, what's that? He said, 10% of everything you make, you give to God. I said, is that what you're supposed to do? He said, yeah. I said, okay. From that time on, I started paying tithes. It just, it just, it was there, you know. That's what you do. Anyhow, I won't go any further with that. <laughs> Let's stay with this thing about the love, not the world. Look at this verse of scripture here. <clears throat> Chapter 2 and verse 15 of 1 John. Love not the world. This is John talking here to the church. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, he's talking about the spirit of the age. You know, I know we, we've got, you know, we've got our jobs, we've got our homes, we've got the grocery store we shop at, and we've got our families and our homes. We've got all of that. We live here in the world. But look at this very closely. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Notice that. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of God, the Father is God. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so John is saying here that we should not follow this line and go this direction. I'm going to read also out of St. John chapter 15 and verse 18. St. John 15 and 18. And... uh, He says here, if the world hate you, he's talking to his, Jesus speaking to his disciples. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So if you ever feel sometimes folks like the world doesn't like us Christians, you're pretty well right. Remember the world didn't like him either. And so he said, if they didn't don't like you, they didn't like me either. He says, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19 If uh, ye be of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now this is in St. John chapter 15, 
And if you go over a couple of chapters over to St. John 17, Jesus is in prayer here. The one in 15, he is talking to, he is talking to his disciples. Here in the 17th chapter of St. John, Jesus is in prayer. And he says here in 1714, I have given them, that is the disciples, I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is Jesus praying now. <clears throat> I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 16 here. Even as I am not of the world. Verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so send I also send them into the world. That scripture where God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son who believed in him. That word sent does not mean sent down from heaven. It means he sent him out into the world like this. And here's a scripture here that verifies that. Just as you sent me out into the world. That was by the spirit. Just like a, a ship is sent out in, across the ocean, but the, the spirit goes with the ship. The spirit is the wind that sends the ship across the sea. The Spirit of God went with Christ, sent him out into the world and so forth. Uh, can I just say this what is, for what it's worth? Uh, the church is in the world, but the world cannot get in the church. And just like a ship is in the sea, the sea cannot get in the, in the ship. We are in the world, but that's okay, but the world cannot get in the church. I'm, t I'm really talking to you slowly here because I want you to understand how important it is for us to live holy, God-fearing lives. And this pressure of the world of like, be conformed, be conformed, be like us. Well, let's all be the same. Let's all be together. Uh, folks, it'll never be. Uh, I know I remember years ago I was discussing some scriptures with a guy one time and uh, he was of a very liberal denomination, religion, church, church Christian. And he was saying, why can't we lay aside our differences and us all agree? And I said, the reason is because what you consider little differences is the foundation and the solid rock of our belief. I said, what you would call little differences like the need for repentance maybe, or the need for baptism, or the need for baptism in Jesus' name, you see. What they consider little differences, we realize they are the heart and soul and foundation of the gospel by which we are saved. Praise the Lord. So we can't lay aside differences. The world says the same thing to us. Lay aside our little differences and let's just all be, be it can't be that way. We have to be according to the Lord. And the Lord has said to me, they're going to dislike you. You might as well face it. You might as well live for it. If you can't live, if you can't handle that, then you're not going to walk with me and you're not going to love me and you're not going to serve me and you're not going to receive the benefits from being a Christian and walking with the Lord. And it's not all that hard. As I mentioned a while ago, it, he has not given us the things that are unreasonable, which is your reasonable service, just living a holy life, godly life, God-fearing life before the Lord. And God is faithful, God is good, and God is true, and he'll hold fast and he'll always keep his hands of blessings upon us. Praise the Lord. 
Now, I want to go back uh, for a minute here to this uh, book of Romans, chapter 12. <clears throat> if you look back with us to the scriptures where we are reading here, be not conformed. This is verse 2, 12, 2. This is Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is constantly, uh, always studying, uh, understanding the word. The more you read the Bible, the more you study it, the more understanding of the things of God comes to light. God's word, praise the Lord, gives off light. It gives off light, spiritual light. And if we will do that, God will help us. And when you have the spirit of God, this God's spirit will help us to understand and perceive the word of God so that we can walk with God as the Lord would have us to do. Amen. So he said, be not conformed to this world, be you renewed in your mind, uh, be transformed for the renewing of your mind. Now I'm going to move on a little further here in the next part here, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's talk about the will of God. Everybody ready for this? Let's talk about the will of God. I've heard a lot of you talk about the will of God. Let me show you what the Bible has to say about the will of God. First of all, when it says, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I have heard people say that there is the acceptable will of God and that there is the perfect will of God. Sometimes you're not always in the perfect will of God, but if you're in the acceptable will of God, that's okay. He'll help you, you know, to get into the perfect will of God. Let me just say this. It doesn't list two here, acceptable and perfect. It lists three. It says good, acceptable, and perfect. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's all the same. The will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is one, this is, this is three adjectives describing the will of God. And the will of God, praise the Lord, is just the will of God for us. And he says it's good, it's acceptable, and it is perfect, and it is the perfect, acceptable, and good will of God for our lives and for all of us. Now, what is that? I'm going to give you some scripture here so that we understand here about the will of God. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. Ephesians 5, 9 for just a moment here. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read a few verses of scripture here to you. Uh, starting with the ninth verse, and we don't see where the will of God is mentioned until we look down in verse 17, but it starts in, ninth, in chapter 9 when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a lot of us know about the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is uh, just simply good Christian living. There are nine fruit of the Spirits. It's all spelled out in Galatians chapter 5, verse, verses uh, 22, 23. Uh, let me read these to you here. Verse 9, 5, 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, Pro uh, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And then it goes on to say here, down in verse 15, I'm just saving time here. See then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly is looking around you, being always with your eyes open, but your spiritual eyes open. Being always with your eyes. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Understanding that. What is the will of the Lord? 
And then he goes on to say in verse 8, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, this is in worship, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is all part of the will of God. And then he says in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about the will of God. The will of God is to be in worship. The will of God is to sing songs of praise unto the Lord. The will of God is giving thanks unto God. Folks, when you pray, give God thanks. Tell God that you are thankful. I mean, just tell him you're, I mean, you know, you can go on and on. You can pray for an hour giving God thanks. I don't know whether you know it or not, but you start thinking of all the things that God's ever done for you, for your family, for your home, for your life, and your life. Nothing else. Think about your own life. Think back there where God spared you. You know, some of us, you know, back there when we're out in the world, sometimes it'll come to us. If I had a show of hands, I think I'd get some here today. In which you think, you say, oh, you know, I remember back there I did some crazy. And then all of a sudden you realize that it could have gone a lot worse, but it didn't. Has anybody ever had that experience? All right, I see a lot of hands. You say, it could have gone worse, but it didn't. I wonder why. And all of a sudden the Lord speaks to your heart and says, I'll tell you why. Because I was looking out for you even when you were out in sin. I'm serious, folks. And then we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know? I mean, every one of us, if you, if you took time to think about your own life, even when you're in sin, even after you were saved, even after you were saved. I give, I've given this story before. I was an insurance, uh, when I first came here, and the church was very small, and I had to work for a living. I worked as an insurance agent. And I had to collect money and write insurance and so forth. My, my, my uh, agency or my debit that I had was up in Cocoa. And uh, I remember that uh, I talked to this, this young lady in a donut shop one day and uh, about, you know, would you and your husband be interested in some injuries? She said, yeah, we've been talking about it. Come by our apartment to, this evening when you, you know, about say six o'clock and, uh, and uh, my husband will be home and I'd like to, for, to talk to you about it. I went to the door and knocked on the door and I felt something in the Holy Ghost. I felt something like this. And I said, I don't feel right about this. I don't feel good about this. The Holy Ghost will warn you of danger. Now I'm carrying around a bunch of money because I've been collecting money, probably several hundred dollars in my pocket. You know, you, you, know, you roll it up and stick it in your pocket and roll it out, you know. Just, that's the, just the way you did it. And I walked in and knocked on the door and this guy came to the door and like that, you know. And I said, uh, I talked to your wife earlier today down at the donut shop. And, and I wanted to talk to you and her about some insurance. I was wondering if I didn't stick my foot in the door like that either. <laughs> I said, I want to talk to you about it. And he says, uh, is this the guy you're talking to? She said, yeah, I just thought maybe you wanted to talk about the insurance. She said, he said no, I don't think I want to get insured. He said, oh, we don't want insurance. I said, okay. And I was okay with that. I didn't put, I wasn't pushing. Okay. And when the door slammed, I said, thank you, Jesus. I don't know what was going on. I walked out, and the next day, I read it in the newspaper. They had picked up this couple, this couple they had picked up for robbing two package stores. And the second store they robbed, they killed the, the guy that was in the package store. And they both went, and of course, he went up for murder, and she went up for an assistant murder. 
Now, here I was with a bunch of money in my pocket wanting to go in there and talk about insurance, you know. And I was feeling the Holy Ghost. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that God looks after us and he looks out for us. Praise the Lord. And this is the beautiful thing about the Lord. So I'm just saying here that when the Bible talks about us giving thanks, we've got a lot of things to be thankful for. This is just, this, even after you're saved, you've got a lot of things to be thankful for. So when you go to church and you, you feel grumpy and everything's going wrong at home and things are upside down and you got a bad bill in the mail and you, and you feel like doing like this in church, don't do that. Just say, Jesus, I've come to worship you and I'm going to glorify your name and I'm going to thank you, Lord, because you've done so much for me. So much for me. Hallelujah. And you can come to church, folks, with a lot of problems and big decisions to make. And you can come down to this altar and start worshiping God, and God will give you the answer just like that. And I've had it happen. He'll give you the answer. In other words, whatever is going to be needed, the Lord can take care of it just like that because he is that kind of a God. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to look at this very closely here. The Bible tells us here that he takes care of he, he lets us know what we need. And I want you to go to another verse of Scripture for me. I'm going to read over here in Thessalonians. This is also about being thankful. And this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Everybody see that? This is 518 uh, of 1 Thessalonians. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. <laughs> Isn't that something? So if you don't know what's the will of God, give thanks. Amen. Amen. If you don't have no other verse, put a ring around that 18th verse. Amen. If you don't have any other verse in the Bible that says it, amen, it's the will of God that you give God thanks. You say, well, let's see, what, have, what has he done for me lately that I give? Hey, just give him thanks. Just say, I just had a breath of air. Hey, I just felt my heart beating. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We owe God praise for our very life, for our very existence, for everything. That's why we need to give him thanks for all things. Praise God. And the Bible says, give him thanks for all things, all things. Oh boy, I had the world turn upside down on me yesterday. Well, give God thanks to God. You're in control. Praise the Lord. Whatever comes our way, we just give you thanks. Praise the Lord. Amen. So that we are instructed then to give God thanks in all these kind of things. Praise the Lord. There is another verse of scripture that I want to talk to you as well. <clears throat> if you look, while you're there in that first, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 5, turn back to, ch to chapter 4. I'm just going to throw this one out for what it's worth. This is talking about the will of God. What is the will of God? Look at chapter 4 and verse 3. Well, I guess he's talking to some real rascals here that had come into the church and they were not saved very long, Thessalonians. He said, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. <laughs> well, Paul just lays it out there. This is the will of God for your life. Praise the Lord. So there we go. Give God thanks, abstain from fornication. And then he says that ye should abstain. And he said, uh, this is your sanctification. Amen. I'll move on from that. But I wanted to just let you know here that the Lord laid all these things out for us. Now, the question comes up a lot of times, <clears throat> what about the will of God for my personal life? Do we have, the Bible always speaks about the will of God as living holy life, godly life, in the fear of the Lord, to walk with the Lord, just keeping his commandments, serving the, serving the Lord. That's the will of God for all of us. But then there are individual, 
individual situations where we'll know what's the will of God for my personal life. The thing that I will have to give you on that is that whenever the Lord spoke to anyone, they always confirmed it, confirmed it by the Spirit. Let me give you an illustration of that. I want you to turn with me over to the book of Acts for a moment. Go to the book of Acts. Look at chapter 16, verse 9. Everybody's still with me here? All right. And uh, I'm going to give you a, show you a map up here so that you'll understand what, what happened with Paul. This is about Paul. And this was to do with his missionary journey. He was on his, uh, what we call today, his second missionary journey. Uh, this map that you see, Palestine is way down here where my pen is, right down in here. And he had come to Jerusalem, and uh, then he had gone up here, and he had, and he had gone to Antioch, and then he had gone on up in, back into this area called, uh, which is Western Turkey today. Most of it, uh, all of this is Turkey. And if you cross over in here, this is Greece. It's Macedonia up in here. This is all Greece in here. And it was pretty well the same thing back then. Macedonia, it says right here, and Greece is here and so forth. And uh, Paul, in traveling, was going in all of these Gentile cities and having great revivals and was just absolutely, these are they who have turned the world upside down as it was spoken of about them. He and uh, Barnabas to start with, and then later he and Silas. And uh, everything was happening. Here's what it says here in chapter 16, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Look at that. Help us. Now, Paul had a vision here, and here's what had happened. I'm going to back up just, for, just to give you a sort of connection here. Look at verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and, and, and increased in number daily. Verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia... And Galatia, these are these places in here. Uh, Phrygia is right here, Galatia is here. Uh, when they've gone out throughout uh, Phrygia and Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Asia is right here. Now, I don't know if you can see that. I know it's dim. I apologize for it. We hope we get a new camera here. But this word Asia here is not the Orient that we know today. We call that Asia. In the Bible, Asia is Western Turkey here. But the Holy Ghost, he was going here, and he started to go into these other areas, and the Spirit of God said, no, 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 don't go into these areas right in here, is what he was saying. He'd gone to Phrygia, uh, he'd gone to Lycia, uh, and different ones, and, and so the Holy Ghost dealt with him not to go. And here's what it says here. And the vision appeared in verse 9, verse 10, and after he had seen the vision... Immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now what I'm pointing out to you is that he assuredly gathered. In other words, he didn't just get the vision and say, I've got to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. He prayed about it. He sought the Lord. In other words, what I'm trying to say, if God ever deals with us personally, Seek the Lord in prayer and keep calling on God and God will confirm anything that he's ever spoken to us about. And that's everything. God, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. 
God has a way of confirming everything to us. And so Paul, whenever what happened was that he went over here to this place called Troas, and while he was there, he, got, he was fixing to go up here, he was fixing to go back down in here, and the Lord spoke to him through that vision and saw that man saying, come over here and help us. And so Paul had prayed about it until he finally got assurance from God, this is what I want you to do. And so Paul went over here, and over here he established the church at Philippi, he established the church at Thessalonica, which is 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, book of Philippians is written here. He went down, down here into Athens where he preached at Mars Hill and affected the Greeks tremendously. Went to Corinth where the book of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians was written to that church, he established the church at Corinthians. And then from there he sailed back over here to this area, area and baptized a bunch of people in Ephesus and continued then to have revival. But when he was here, God wanted him to go there. So he followed the will of God by simply confirming you always confirmed. And so what is God's personal will for my life? Whatever the Lord impresses you with, <clears throat> get a confirmation. You see, we can want something bad enough. We say, I believe God wants me to do this, you know. And God really is, is what he's simply saying is that I want you to live for me, serve me, and walk with me. Praise God. And if we will ask for a confirmation, God will always uh, confirm that to us. Now, I've got about uh, five minutes here. And I'm going to wrap this up. I want you to look with me and uh, down in verse 3 here. Look at verse 3, and, and I'm look back in Romans 12, 12, 3. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And what he's saying here is don't try to be what you are not. In other words, be what God has called you to be. One place he said, abide in the calling wherewith you are called. And in that particular sense, he meant whatever your profession is, when you get saved, just keep on doing what you're doing because you're a testimony wherever you are. If you're a plumber and you get saved, you keep on being a plumber. Amen. If you're a block layer and you get saved, you keep on being a block layer. You know, my family were plasterers. My, my grandfather, my father, I got scads of cousins and uncles that are plasterers. And under the uncles that are still living, and that they are plasterers. And that was the family trade and everything. And uh, when any of them ever got saved, my dad did. And, uh, and of course, I, I got saved when I was a teenager before I really got much into it. But you didn't just abandon and walk away. So I think I'm going to be a banker now, you know. Or I think I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to be a, a stockbroker, you know. No, no, no. You just say I abide in a calling. You go to school and learn, you know, and, and increase your, your uh, capacity to be whatever you want to be. And you all, you and I all well know that. But I'm just speaking here about those scriptures. But now here in this particular case, he was saying here is that don't try to be what God has not called you to be. And he's given unto every man the measure of faith for him to be whatever God wants him to be used. Now I'm going to read verses 4 down through verse 8, and here's where he ties it all together. And uh, I've got other scriptures, but I don't have the time to go into those. He says, verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. 
having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, which is preaching, let us prophesy, preach, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait, that is serve, ministry is serving, in our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. These are gifts and things that we can have that others do not have equally as we have or, or maybe like what we have. Let him do it with simplicity. Uh, let, me, let me back up on verse 8. For he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth. Can I just say something here, folks? Some people are blessed of God with material things. They're blessed of God. There are some people that know how to make money. If you have that gift, be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Be a giver. I'm serious. I'm serious. I know, I know a brother that was raised in a home missionary church in Kentucky, in a little old small home missionary church. Man, that guy became rich. I mean, he went to, went to Detroit, and he got in the plastic business, used to make all the plastic handles on all the General Motor cars and Fords. All the little knobs and things, he made all that stuff. His company did. He had a, had a bunch of employees, he had a big factory. That guy was so humble. You know, I traveled all over the world with him. I did, I did. We've been to Europe, we've been to, been to Spain together, we've been to, uh, to, to England together, we've been to, you know, over, I don't know, I can't, to Israel together. And the guy had a general spirit. And I never let him buy me in. The only thing I ever let him buy me one time was that I could ride first class from Holland back to America. <laughs> and that's the only time I ever let him do anything. I never let, never let that ever be something between us. In other words, I paid my way, he paid his way, and so forth, our families. But I'm just saying that this guy gave, you would not believe how he gave. He loved to give. He just gave and gave and gave and gave. He paid himself a salary of a million dollars a year. That was his salary and everything. And he was worth, he's probably worth $100 million. And I'm just saying that God had blessed him, and he knew that, and everything. He did a, he, missionary works. He blessed his missionary works big time. One of our missionary directors said to me in St. Louis, so-and-so and so-and-so has begun to send some money in. I said, good, but one thing you want to remember, always send him a, send him a bill. Every month, send him a bill telling him what, his, what he owes for the next missionary you know, gift. And I said, because he required that. And he said, we don't do that. I said, you won't get the money then. I'm just telling you because I know him, you know. And sure enough, the guy, they quit doing it. And he told me later, he said, he quit giving. I said, you quit sending him the bill. I told you what to do. You know? So he said, you reckon I can get him back on board? I said, you might be, but you got to tell him you got to go and send him a bill. He said, we don't normally do that for anybody, but you got to do it for him because he gives like $10,000 a month to missions, you know. So well, I'm just trying to say, folks, some people are blessed. I mean, he's enormously blessed, but it doesn't have to be all that kind of money. Just some people, it's, you know, whatever. We got people in this church that God has blessed you. You know, you have been blessed of God, and, uh, and this is your gift. And when it is, praise the Lord, let it be that of blessing the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God has given all of us abilities and talents? You know, I, I may be a teacher. And that's, you know, that's my, maybe my gift, I don't know. But if you may walk, you may leave today and say, that's not his gift, you know. But anyhow, <laughs> so I'm a teacher, praise the Lord. But, you know, a, a millionaire or a lot of money, that ain't my gift. 
But I do know that God will always bless the giver. Can I just say this? If you take a channel of anything, whether it's an open channel, pipe, anything, and water's going through it, water goes in it, water goes out of it. If water goes in, water goes out. It's always full itself. It'll never be empty. If you let God use you for a channel, he'll give you blessings and you'll be a blessing to the kingdom of God and you'll always be blessed in between because as water goes through a channel, so the, the blessings of God will go through you. Hallelujah. It's a greater blessing to give than to receive. Praise the Lord. But in giving, you will receive. Well, I just threw that out for whatever it's worth. <laughs> God bless you. You've been a good class. Would you stand with me today? Let's lift our hands and praise God and worship him. Let's thank him right now. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you, Jesus. Bless all of these who have come today, Lord, to worship you in the name of the Lord. We give you the praise and glory for all the blessings and goodness of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.